If you have your Bibles, we want to turn to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. We're going to read one verse, and that's verse 14. As you're turning there, this I thought you would enjoy this. I thought you would understand this. Margaret Sangster Fippin. She wrote in the mid-1950s about her father. Her father was a British minister, W.E. Sangster. He began to notice some uneasiness in his throat. He began to notice a dragging of his leg. And when he went to the doctor, he found out that he had an incurable disease. It would cause progressive muscular atrophy. His muscles would gradually waste away and his voice would eventually fail. His throat would soon become unable to swallow. But Sankster didn't pity himself. He didn't blame God. He didn't look for pity from, some, from anyone else. Instead, she wrote that Sankster threw himself into his work in British home missions, figuring that he could still write and that he would have even more time for prayer. He stated this, he said, let me stay in the struggle, Lord. I don't mind if I can no longer be a general, just give me a regiment to lead. He wrote articles and books and he helped organize prayer cells throughout England. And when he was asked or when people wanted to pity him, his statement was, I'm only in the kindergarten of suffering. Gradually, Sangster lost the use of his legs completely. His voice went completely, but he still could hold a pen. On Easter morning, just a few weeks before he died, he wrote a letter to his daughter. And in it he said, it's terrible to wake up on Easter morning and have no voice to shout. He is risen. Said, but it would be even more terrible to wake up with a voice and not want to shout. He is risen. (laughs) You know, we're fixing, we're fixing. That's that's one of those words we use over at Union Chapel. We're about, we're about to read this one verse. Why don't we stand and shout, He is risen? Why don't we do that? We've been awake today. Oh, oh, three times, three times together. Let's just shout. He is He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Boy, it'd be terrible today to, to be able to do that and not want to. Oh, we would be lost, wouldn't we? To not want to shout. This should be the Christian's favorite holiday. Because we're, we're given this holiday to remind us that we have hope beyond this world. That this isn't as good as it gets. 
The Bible tells us in John 1 and 14 as we're again continuing with the theme, the unlimited love of God. This is part three. But last week we started a two parts into this into this one section on God's unlimited love. And this is part two of God's unlimited love. And here in in chapter one of John's gospel, in verse 14, this very familiar verse says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. Oh, what a wonderful, what a wonderful word that tells us of God's unlimited love. God, we thank you this day. We praise you for your word. For your word gives us so many assurances. It gives us so much comfort. It gives us so much instruction. God, as we come this way today, as we are celebrating what this day means God, we want to honor you. We want to glorify your name. And we want to magnify the name of your son. Because it was Jesus who left glory and come to earth. It was Jesus who bled and died. And it was Jesus who arose under his own power. God, we just thank you for this day. Now be with us. You lead us, guide us, direct us. And if there's one here today, God, who doesn't have a relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ. Oh, you've promised us in your word if we would confess our sins that you are faithful and just to forgive us. That maybe, God, this would be the day that they call upon you for you've told us in your word that you are faithful and just to forgive them of their sins and give them eternal life. God, let this be the day that someone says, I no longer want to live beneath my privilege. But from now on, I want to be called a child of God. So God, be with us. Take these broken words and fix and form and fashion them in the hearts of each one of us. And help us, God, to glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That when we think, when we think of God's love, our minds should immediately go to Jesus Christ because it was Jesus who put flesh on the love of God. Have you ever really just thought of that, that Jesus put flesh on God's love? Jesus Christ fully embodied the nature of God and and Jesus is the demonstration of God's holiness and God's love. He showed and he continues to show the world the perfect love of God. Folks, if you want to know perfect love, you're not going to find it in a book. You're not going to find it in a channel on the radio. You're not going to find it in a woman. You're not going to find it in a man. You're not going to find it in a baby. You're not going to find it in mom or daddy. But perfect and holy love comes only from God. And Jesus himself He put flesh on that love. When we look at this and we think about this perfect love, I want us to think for a few moments on God's unlimited love expressed in Christ. 
His unlimited love was expressed in Christ. As a matter of fact, Hebrews 1 and 3, it describes Jesus as the brightness of God's glory and the express image of God. And if that's who Jesus is, then we get to see God in the life of Jesus. So how is it that he is, that, that God's unlimited love is expressed in Christ? Well, first I want us to notice that Jesus expressed the glory of God. The word glory refers to the manifested power and presence of God. Now, in the Old Testament, there are a couple ways we saw that. We saw that in fire. We saw that in a cloud. We remember it by reading how the Hebrews came out of Egypt and they were headed into this into the wilderness. And before they got to this Red Sea that stood before them, trapping them between between it and Egypt, we know that as they journeyed, they were journeying with a, a cloud that, that that led them by day, the presence and the power of God, and a fire that that gave them light, the presence and power of God at night. As a matter of fact, we see this over and over throughout the the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, the word glory itself, um, as it speaks of being the presence and the the power of God, we see in the Old Testament that that on Mount Sinai, how God descended upon it and a glowing fire appeared. It was the power and the presence of God. We see that in Exodus 19 and 18 when the Bible says, now Mount Sinai was complete in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain greatly quaked. I want us to understand something. The power of God was seen by the people through the fire that fell down upon this mountain. It was so great that they looked at Moses and said listen, you go talk to him. We're too wicked to talk to him ourselves. You go talk on our behalf. But also it wasn't just seen in the fire. When Solomon dedicated the temple, or after the tabernacle was erected, after the tabernacle was erected, the glory of God was seen in a cloud that appeared. In Exodus 40 and 34, the Bible says, Then the cloud covered the tabernacle meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle because this cloud had appeared. Well, if we continue reading in the Old Testament, we'll see this as it continues to show itself. In Solomon, when he dedicated the temple, the fire from heaven came down and it consumed the sacrifices. And in 2 Chronicles 71, when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Folks, in the Old Testament, we see the glory of God appear in so many ways, and then as a cloud and as a fire, so many times throughout the Old Testament. But when we get to the New Testament, something changes. As we look here in this verse where it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Here what we begin to see is that, that Jesus, the only begotten of God, he, is the, he presents God. God's glory when he comes to earth. John uses the term only begotten as he's describing Jesus here as being the glory of God. He's assuring us that only Jesus Christ could fully represent God. I remember 
I remember when I was working with Daddy and we were doing power line work and as, as contractors with Lumbee River, he did everything in his power and he did a good job. Not to show me any favoritism when I finished school. And when I went to work with him, I, I began working my way up and, and when I finally became a foreman, uh, Daddy told the men on the first day, my first day as foreman, he, gra- he called the men together and he shared with them, I want you to know now, he... Hilton, whatever he says, it's as if I said it. As a matter of fact, he didn't stop there. He didn't just talk to the men that work for us. He introduced me to some of the leaders there at LREMC. And Mr. Steve Davis was, was over the, the contractors at that time. So when he went, when I went to talk, when Daddy went to introduce me to him, he told him, he said, listen, whatever Hilton comes to you with, it's as if I came. Now, the other foreman had been to Mr. Davis, and, and Mr. Davis would sometimes have questions, and he would call Daddy, and Daddy would answer the questions. But when Daddy introduced me to him, he shared with him and wanted him to know that whatever he says, he's representing me. He, it's as if I have said it myself. But I, he wanted him to understand that if I I come to him that I already had his approval to come to him. Why? Because I was his son. I was his flesh and blood. There wasn't another son that worked on the crew. I was his son. But not only that, as my dad was working for himself, he knew I was working for myself. And as a representation of my father, which is exactly who I was and who I am, my, my dad knew that he and I had talked things over before I ever would go to talk to Mr. Davis. So it was real clear as to why he felt very confident that anything I said to Mr. Davis would be exactly what he would want me to say. Well, folks, there have been many messengers sent from God, but only one, the only, only begotten of God was Jesus Christ. He is the only begotten of the Father. He and he alone come from God to earth in the full representation of God. Why can we trust this? Because long before the foundations of the earth was formed. God, God the Father had communed with God the Son to in the discussion about how to redeem you and I. I'm so glad to know that he didn't catch God by surprise when man sinned in the garden. He didn't catch God by surprise when they went wayward away from his will and away from his way. But God had a plan long before Adam sinned in the garden that he would redeem you and I back to himself. And he did it by sending the very expression of himself and the glory of God is seen in Jesus Christ. Folks, if you ever want to see the glory of God, (laughs) read this book and get familiar with Jesus. When you get familiar with Jesus, you get familiar with the glory of God. If you ever want to see it personally and hear him say, enter in thy good and faithful servant, I I want you to know you must know this man Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. It's not going to be enough for him to be just your Savior. He's got to be your Lord and your Savior. And if he's your Lord and Savior, you surrender all to him, you'll hear him say, well done in the presence of of all God's glory. Jesus fully, the fullness of God's glory walked on earth. The fullness of God's glory talked with many women. The fullness of God's glory revealed God to the world. And men are still writing about him today. We are still praying to him today. 
We're still seeking him today, and he's still saving souls today. Listen, I don't know where you stand with God. If you believe in God, but you haven't received Jesus as your Savior, I want you to know he's still in the saving business, and he wants to save you today. Yes, the glory of God is seen in his son, Jesus Christ, and there's a reason. Because Jesus holds two characteristics that no one else holds. And they're God's characteristics. Only God himself, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit hold these true, these two characteristics to its fullest. And that is grace and truth. Here he says that we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. Here we're able to see, we, we, we begin to see that Jesus exposes those characteristics that can only be found in God. The word for grace that's used here in this verse, it can be translated loving kindness or gracious mercy. The word for truth here in this text, it, can, it carries the idea of faithfulness. So here we, we begin to see as we look through the Gospels, God's truth and his grace all throughout the Gospels. There's account after account of Jesus' ministry, of his grace and his truth. You can pick any one throughout the, uh, the Gospel letters and you'll find his grace and his truth flows all through it. And we're going to look here just for a, a minute or two here as we picture Jesus displaying his grace and truth with the scene of the woman who describes the Pharisees brought to Jesus. As they brought them to Jesus, they had found her or found her in the very act of committing adultery. They brought this woman in the midst of the people, hoping to trap Jesus with the law. What they didn't understand was Jesus was the very fulfillment of the law. And while these scholars, they, they felt they knew everything about the law, they didn't know nothing about Jesus. And Jesus himself was the very word of God. God, here, as they brought this woman to him, testing Jesus, can you imagine that? Someone would have the audacity to test God, (laughs) but that's what they did. Jesus knew what the law stated, that this woman should be stoned to death. That's exactly what the law called for. They would have been righteous in stoning this woman to death. But instead, Jesus stooped down. He wrote in the sand with his finger. And he finally replied, simply, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Let them be the first one to throw the stone. One by one, you begin to hear the stones dropping out of their hands from waist high. And you might even hear some slammed in the ground because they were so angry they knew that he had them and that they couldn't trap him and and that he knew the word better than they did. Here, you could hear them as they are walking away disgusted, angry, frustrated. They didn't get to take her life. Folks, Jesus was the only one there in the midst who could justly have thrown a stone for he knew no sin. He would have been right for the law 
had said that she was to be stoned, but Jesus refused to condemn her. I'm so glad we find in John 8 and 11 where Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus displayed grace to her and forgiveness and truth in telling her to avoid sin. In John 3 and 17, he tells us, we all know John 3 and 16, but do we all know John 3 and 17? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior. He didn't come in this world. He didn't die in this world. He didn't rise from the grave to give us victory over this world to condemn you. He did it that you would be saved. And that you'd be set free from the bind of this world. Ken Hempful stated this. said individuals and churches struggle to balance the two. Grace and truth. Some churches today in the name of grace are soft on sin, while others in the name of truth become legalistic. But Jesus, like his father, out of his holy love, fully embraced truth that hates sin and grace that loves the sinner. (laughs) Boy, aren't you glad to hear that today? And you and I might condemn one another. There may be somebody you know that's done you wrong or done your family wrong or said something that you wish they hadn't have said to your mom or daddy. And you don't want nothing to do with them. But I'm so glad Jesus is greater than we are. I'm so glad his, his grace and his truth is forever present and as long as he is still reigning in heaven. Folks, the unlimited love of Jesus is seen throughout his earthly ministry. In the Gospels, we see he puts his love on display as he heals the demon-possessed. He heals the lepers, the lame, the blind, the deaf, and the sick. His unlimited love is on display as he spent time with Samaritans, Gentiles, tax collectors, and children. In his unlimited love, he saw all sinners in need of redemption. And that's the call that he would have to the church. That we see every sinner just as we once were, lost and undone and on our way to a demon's hell that we see every sinner needing forgiveness needing an access to God it would do us good those of us who have been born again to remember that we were born in sin and shaped in iniquity we all were on our way to a demon's hell but it was the unlimited love of God that got in our way Jesus spoke grace and truth to us And if not for the grace of God, we would still be on that same path to a demon's hell. Listen, unsaved, I want to tell you as we're coming to a close, I want to tell you today, you can search the world over and you will never find a love like the unlimited love of God. Frederick Baldner said this, he describes God's love in this way. He says, and then there was God's He said, then there was love for the enemy. Love for the one who does not love you, but mocks, threatens, and inflicts pain. The tortured love for the torturer. said, this is God's love. It conquers the world. I don't know what you've read in the scriptures about that. That crucifixion scene. But as they had beaten him. As they had mocked him. Spit upon him. Pulled the hair out of his face. And pressed the crown of thorns on his head. As they were kicking him and whipping him up Galgotha's hill. 
he was saying, I make all things new. And while suspended between heaven and earth, he cried out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. That's God's love. That's the love he has for you. Day in and day out, Satan may be coming by and bringing a a true accusation against you and I. Jesus is there at the right hand. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They've received me as their Savior. Father, forgive them. Well, daily his mercies are renewed. Daily his grace is poured upon us. And his grace and his truth will forever abide. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says, For when we were without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't die for the godly. As a matter of fact, he didn't come into the world for the well. He said, for the well doesn't need a physician. But he comes seeking and saving those who were lost. In other words, those of us who were sick by sin. Yes, while we were still without strength in due, Christ, Christ, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely would a righteous man will die. Will one die? Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love was expressed toward his enemies. God's love was expressed toward you. And God's love was expressed toward me through his son, Jesus Christ. The cartoon that you see from time to time on Facebook. You see Lucy asking Charlie Brown as they're looking up into the heavens. What's love, Charlie? (laughs) It's a man named Jesus. (laughs) If you want to know love, you got to know Jesus. In the ultimate display of God's glory, his glory full of grace and truth, Jesus submitted himself to the will of his Father. He became the ultimate and the final sacrifice for the sin of the world. He allowed the religious leaders and their servants to arrest him. He allowed them to illegally try him. He allowed the soldiers to whip him, the Roman soldiers, to whip him. He allowed them to pluck the hair out of his face. He allowed them to place a crown of thorns on his head. He allowed them to crucify him. He he gave his life as a ransom for you and for me to fulfill the Father's will. Jesus became the bridge that we needed from heaven, from our heavenly Father to us. His shed blood and the death on the cross provides forgiveness for the sin of the world. In God's unlimited love, it is so great that he didn't stop at providing forgiveness for our sins. But in a display of God's unlimited love, Jesus rose from the grave. On the third day, conquering death, hell, and the grave, and by raising under his own power, now we can have victory over death, hell, and the grave. But you must, you must Receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. 
And you must make him Lord of your life. We have a Savior who lives, and he lives forevermore. And he desires for each one of us to live with him for eternity. The question is today, will you choose him or will you choose to trample on God's love? Would you choose to trample on the unlimited love of God? Trample on his only begotten son. Trample on Jesus Christ. The choice is yours. I can't make it. I wish I could. You would all have no other choice but to be saved. But I can't make the choice for you. You have to make it for yourself. We hope you've enjoyed the message today. And if you happen to not have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, we want to invite you to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. It's as simple as the ABCs. If you would admit that you are a sinner and that you are in need of a Savior and believe that God sent His very Son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth to be the sacrifice for our sins and that He died for our sins, And he arose on the third day. And then if you would confess him as your Lord and Savior, you can be saved. You must believe this with all your heart. And you must be willing to serve him. If you are, all you have to do is talk with Jesus. You don't need a preacher. You don't need a church to get saved. But if you get saved, find yourself a Bible-believing church. And I believe God will richly bless you.